You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Okay, Genesis chapter 9, 7 through 17. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will set it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we are in a new series today. It's going to take us right up till uh, Easter time when uh, actually Pastor Jared, our founding pastor, will be here with us on Easter morning. So I encourage you to be a part of this new series that we're doing. But um, how many of you guys have heard the story of Noah before? That should be the bulk of us, probably. Um, how many of you guys have seen the awful movie? I'm just kidding. Uh, it's not the same story at all. Slight, slightly. But anyway, um, God, God put the story of Noah into my heart. And uh, I could really, this morning, we're just going to look at Noah today. If you really read the story of Noah, and the more you study it, the more intense that story becomes. It's crazy. Let's be real. I know that we like to paint nice little pictures of Noah and some giraffes a couple of birds like hanging around on the boat and there's a hippo and an elephant we put it in our nursery you know and we have a little mobile above the crib Are they called mobiles mobiles mobile cell phone uh, something something that hangs above the crib and it spins and there's like nice little animals and a frumpy looking dude in a boat looking down like there's a whole lot more to the story of Noah than just that imagery that we typically see in like veggie tales and in cartoons and like I don't know all those Christian things that we do Noah is a really intense story when you look at the details. And I want to read the beginning of this story of Noah so we can just begin to see how weird this really is. Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is yours to keep. You can have that. Uh, the rest of us, we can follow along or you can just read in the Bible there. Uh, it should be on the screen here in a second. But Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and, so at, and also afterwards. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old and the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thought, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. 
and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man I will, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons. Let's stop there. So here's the story. You got, right, you got, there's Adam and Eve and the fall of man, and there's Cain and Abel and the offspring of, of Cain and all this wickedness and this sin. And then there's this offspring of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve. And we see this line, this genealogy that leads us up until Noah. And it says, in that time, sin was everywhere. Wickedness was everywhere. There's this weird beginning of chapter 6, which theologians debate over what that means. What does it mean that the sons of God took for them, sons of man, what, the Nephilim, these giant men or whatever they are like there's some kind of weird something happening here well i'm not going to argue about what does that really mean today because just guesswork basically but there's something weird happening to where god sees this stuff and he said i'm sickened i am grieved that man even exists in this state i have to destroy my creation right this is surrounding surrounded in wickedness complete broken disgusting filth of humanity everywhere and there's a spiritual realm happening there's a physical realm happening where chaos is all over the earth and in the midst of that god says but noah's found favor with me noah is blameless and he walks with me to me what i want you to see before if if you're taking notes or, or whatever point one of today i want you to see this in the story of noah it is possible for us to be completely surrounded by chaos everywhere wickedness to the left wickedness to the right everywhere is wickedness brokenness sin spiritual warfare demonic stuff and then the flesh all around us have every friend every family member that we look to walking and speaking filth and disgusting desires out of their hearts it's possible for that to exist around you and for you to still walk with god in the presence of god to have favor with god to be obedient to God. What does it mean that Noah found favor? Noah was a man in his heart that when the world around him was speaking and doing evil, he loved the law of God. He loved fellowship and relationship. In a broken world, he was able to walk in obedience. So we, we, most of us know the rest of these next few chapters that God spoke to, to Noah and he told him, hey, I'm going to destroy the earth. Go and build a ark. There we go. Just, just a little, I like a little interaction once in a while. Go and build an ark. So, an ark, right? What is an ark? An ark was the first of its kind. It was a boat. There was no such thing as boats then. There was no such thing as floods. There was no such thing as rain. This is the first time that you really see this happening. And God says, I'm going to destroy the earth with water, with a flood. Everything's going to die. I need you to build an ark. Here's what it's going to look like. Basically, so you get the imagery of an ark in your mind. It's about a football field and a half in length about seven parking spots wide, whatever that is. Seven, so about as wide as this building, maybe a little wider. And inside of it, it, th- it was three stories high. And then inside of it, you could fit 550 train boxcars, basically. So like it's a massive cargo boat when, in a world that's never experienced a massive cargo boat before. So you have a man surrounded by wickedness everywhere 
on earth is wickedness. And God sees this one man who hears a voice, hears the Lord, and he does what God says to do. He builds it. Now, this is not like me and my three sons, we're going to build a little boat together in my garage. This is like a good estimate of the timeline that it took for them to build the ark is probably between 55 and 75 years. God speaks to you something that's going to happen, and you work hard for 55 to 75 years. Probably somewhere around, I don't know, year one, I'm going to start wondering, God, are you really going to do this thing that I've never, ever seen done, and everybody around me is mocking me, making fun of me, ridiculing me, doing things they shouldn't be doing? You guys know what I'm talking about? Let's, let's be real. But Noah kept working for 55 to 75 years or so. Kept building a massive, massive boat. Just kept doing it. This is a man who knows, walking with God is not like he'd never sinned before. We don't, that's not what this is saying. Walking with God is in the midst of sin saying, I choose intimacy with you. I choose relationship. I choose obedience with you. And when you walk in intimacy and obedience, it produce, produces rescue. Here's the, a man when the world around him is about to be wiped off. God says, you love me. I'm going to rescue you. Everything's evil. Everything's corrupt. But I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to spend time with you because you spend time with me. So often, we, God gives us a word and we like want to quit it after like the first week, after the first month, after the first year of struggle. We're ready to throw in the towel and we're like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, chill out, it's been a week. This is a man who knew how to walk in obedience and it gave life. You want a promotion, and, and you, don't, you don't get it. And right away, you're thinking, like, God has just abandoned your soul. Like, 55, can you imagine 55 years? Most of you in this room are not even 55 years old yet. Most of you had a word from God within the last six months, and you're wondering why God has abandoned you. Noah, 55 years. That, to me, I, I, that, that right there is in and of itself a message that we could preach, but there's more today, and we're doing Noah in one week. Because I don't know why I made this plan. I should have have stretched it out. But Easter is only five weeks and I got a lot to talk about. So anyway, in the midst of this broken world, we can choose to walk in obedience. We can choose to spend time in intimacy. Or we can get distracted by every other voice, ridiculing and speaking death, speaking destruction. So we have the flood, right? Noah gets into the boat. God says, okay, bring in the animals. God's going to bring in the animals. I don't know how that happened exactly. I'm not going to pretend. But God brings in all these animals, all the creatures on the earth, uh, two of every kind. They come in, and they're in the boat, and they're in there for probably about seven days waiting still. And then all of a sudden, the waters start to come out of the ground, come from heaven, come everywhere, and they're in the flood. The flood happens, and this is, once again, not your children's storybook imagery. The rest of mankind... Every creature, except for two of each, is completely drowned. Drowned. To have been drowned. I don't know what the phrase is there. I'm not an English teacher. This is, like, you don't see this in your paintings, you know? Like, all these bodies floating and dead. You don't see that. You got the ark up here, and, like, on your mobile above the crib, there's, like, bodies and dead giraffe, and, like, like everything's floating in circles. Like, th- that's not the imagery that we want to share, that's not the imagery that we want in our mind, right? And I know you guys are like, that's, that's not really funny, Jesse. 
It's death. It's, it's death. It is death. This is an intense moment in the life of Noah, a man who loved God, and all that he's surrounded with so far has been long, long work, and everybody everywhere is dead, except for his kids and his wife and their wives. Everybody's dead. Everything he's ever seen, every place that he's ever known to exist, every, everything is dead. And now he's in a boat, in a storm, with very few things left. I know my wife and I, we did our, our one-year anniversary, we, we did a cruise. And um, we were on a cruise for like, what, 10 days or something like that? The first four days, it was bad, people. It was bad. Like, there was a lot of throwing up. There was a lot of, like, just throwing up. Um, when we went on our honeymoon to the Bahamas, we did a, I probably shouldn't be saying, I, I got a rock-hard stomach, like, as far as, like, not rock-hard abs. I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. But, like, I, I don't get sick too often. We go, we go s- snorkeling out where they film Flipper in the Bahamas, right? And it was not pretty, people. I'm not going to give you the details, but it was bad. I got back on the boat, and there was, like, all these people in this, like, little boat, maybe, like, 20. Me and two other people were the only ones not throwing up, like, on this boat. I'm like, seriously? This is, like, a, a two-hour event, right? Noah and his family are on a boat, not for just 40 days of rain, but they're on the boat for about 251 days total, which is, like, eight and a half months almost. Eight and a half months of saying, God, you have destroyed everything. I've worked, and now I'm on a big boat with a lot of smelly animals and just my family. You guys don't even like being with your family for a week during Christmas. Eight months on a boat with animals and your family. At this point, I'm thinking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Give me some land. Like, I remember when we did our little, our, our cruise, our anniversary cruise, before we had kids, that's why we did it then, because we knew we can't do this with kids. I remember when we got off the boat after like a couple days at cru- on, on the cruise, we were like so happy to see land. And like everything on that cruise was like weird Thai food at that time, and we didn't like Thai at that time. And she was sick. When we got to Italy and there was a pizza, I thought Ash just went to heaven. Like I have a picture in my office of her on dry land with an Italian pizza in Italy. And like, you can see a glory cloud like, just manifest over her. But like, and that's after only a few days without the food that you like, the places that you're used to, the things that you're used to. This is Noah. This is a real man walking in obedience. You guys, you guys tracking with me this morning? There's a real thing here that's happening. So eight months on the boat, what do they do? They get off and they worship. They get into the boat with obedience. They leave with worship. What would our days look like if we woke up in the morning saying, God, I'm walking with you. I'll do anything you ask. I'll be obedient throughout the day. And then when my day's done, I, start, I end it with worship. To me, that's a beautiful picture of what our lives should look like. And so they end with worship, and then God comes and he says, I'm giving you a covenant. I'm making a promise. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply. You're going to inhabit the earth, and I'm making a covenant with you so that any time it rains, you will see that my bow is no longer pointing toward earth. The word rainbow is not rainbow, really, as we make it. It's this word cassette, not cassette like you play music back in the 90s. Cassette, which means my war bow. God's war bow, he says, I'm promising you, and you will always see the sign of my promise. I won't destroy the earth when I'm angry again like this. I will never again flood it. 
And there's nothing that you can do. It's not on you. This is on me. And I'm setting down my bow. And every time it rains, you will know, Noah, even though the last time you saw rain, you saw death and destruction. When you see rain next time, you'll see my promise that I won't do it again. And it's going to be pointing toward me. If you look at the shape of a bow, it's pointed toward heaven, not toward earth. God says, my promise to you is my wrath will never be poured out on the earth. And the next time that there's wrath, it won't be absorbed in the earth or on humans. The next time my wrath is poured out, it'll be absorbed by me. See, every promise that we see in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, everything that God does, when God makes a covenant, there's always this allusion to the future great and final covenant. There's always this allusion to the day that is coming. God says to Noah, I know that evil still is existing. I know that there are things that got to be done. But ultimately, the big finale, evil will be absorbed by my son, by me, by my offspring and not yours. My wrath will be poured out on him and not on you. See, let me say this. The the rainbow, today in our world, when we see the rainbow, we're not typically thinking of God's promise, correct? We're thinking of homosexuality. The rainbow is God's promise to us to not destroy us. Not a symbol for sexual activity. See, what happens, and this is just one example of it, everything that God tries to do, every promise that he gives us, every good thing that he gives us, the world and sin and Satan tries to manipulate it and make us think of something evil, something broken, something that doesn't give life. And God says, all these things, I've given them for you to have life, and the enemy is always trying to rob that. When I see a rainbow my heart has to say there's promise there. Not some kind of liberal agenda, not some kind of sin, whatever. I'm not getting into that fight. Instead, what I see is God is not destroying me. That's his symbol first. That was his sign first. And that's what we have to recognize it as. I'm, I'm saying it was meant for God's glory and our joy. That symbol in the sky is a beautiful thing. Every time it storms, God is moving and active and demonstrating his hand. It's a promise that he says, I won't, I won't handle sin the same way next time. Romans chapter 5 says this, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a right, righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one could even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. You and I have been reconciled and saved from the wrath of God because of a promise he made long ago and ultimately is fulfilled in Christ. He absorbed his own wrath against us. When sin covers the earth, when sin is everywhere, he says my wrath is not poured out on you, it's poured out on myself. That I'm the only one who can really absorb it now. We're going to see this continually played out up until Easter where ultimately Christ, the thing that we celebrate is that 
God's wrath, God is not angry at you. Let me just say this this morning. God is not angry at you. So often we typically think in, in our culture that God is this God of vengeful wrath and he hates everybody. And every time you sin, God's looking for a way to destroy you. God's looking for a way to punish you like an angry dad. And he says, I'm not an angry dad. I've destroyed it once and I'll not do it again. His wrath has been absorbed through Christ. Let me say this. When Jesus is in the garden and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's not talking about pain of the cross. He's not talking about it being whipped. He's not talking about the spear in his side. He's not talking about the crown of thorns on his head. He's not afraid of death. There are plenty of martyrs who went through horrifying disgusting death and on their crosses burning at the stake having their skin peeled off of them they still sung hymns they still worship god and the one wife of one man who was being martyred said you can cut off his head but you can never cut him off from his true head christ as she's applauding him as he's being martyred jesus is not afraid of death when he says, Father, let your cup pass from me, all through the Old Testament, all the t- every time you see the word cup, it's always the symbol of God's wrath. And Jesus says, I, I don't know if I can handle all of your wrath. Like, is it possible? And so when the wrath of God is poured out of him and God turns his back from him, it's when Jesus is on the cross, he drinks the wrath of God in himself, the cup, he absorbs that cup, and then he says, it's finished. He takes all of the wrath of God in himself. You and I, we have to understand that this promise, this promise here leads us to the promise that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that you and I, when we are in Christ, Jesus stands in front of us and the floodgates of sin, the floodgates of wrath, all the waters of God's destruction comes in front of Christ and I am completely saved and rescued. There was a promise of being rescued from a wooden boat for Noah And God promises to rescue us on a wooden cross for all of time. We're completely rescued in him. We're justified in him. God has promised that in Christ, every penalty for sin, everything that you've done wrong against our holy God, and everything that you've done against people has been absorbed in him. Everything you've done, absorbed in him. This is justification. When we talk about the word justification, it's you are justified because of Christ. You stand pure and righteous and blameless because of him. He is not angry at you. He, he desires that you receive his love, receive his forgiveness. That's why Jesus in John chapter 3, we always hear verse 16, but we forget 17. 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not, is not, the, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned because he not believed in the Son of God. Jesus says, Jesus out of his own mouth says, God sent me here not to condemn you, but to condemn me and to give you life. Like this, this is the beautiful message of the gospel and all of this book, every promise, every covenant that God has for us points us to the promises that are fulfilled in Christ completely. When God makes a promise, there is no lie, there's nothing that changes. Let me ask you this, and I'm kind of switching gears here a little bit. So if, 
If God has satisfied his anger in himself, why do we feel like we have the right to satisfy our anger and take vengeance on other people? Let me, let me tell you a story about what happened this last week. I joked about it at home group with some of the guys. One of my biggest pet peeves is bad driving. We've talked about this before, right? Just this last week, I'm coming down Maine, I leave the church, I'm going right over here to the Dunkin' Donuts. I'm, I'm not going to Dunkin' Donuts, I'm going home. But I'm about to pass and get in front of Dunkin' Donuts, and this car in front of me, I can see something's going on. And it's, it's 4 o'clock, cars are everywhere, because it's 4 o'clock, people are getting out of work. And this car decides to, here's another car in front of him, and he starts doing this thing, like he's in NASCAR, like he's can't figure out which lane to go around, and there's no lanes. You're in front of Dunkin' Donuts, and the other side is completely full of people. This lane is full of people. There's nowhere to go. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I could tell this guy's just trying to tick off the guy in front of him. Like, and I, I get angry. Like, I am, like, this is not good driving skills, people. So I lay on my horn. He keeps doing it for like a quarter of a mile. Then the guy in front of him turn, pulls off the road. He gets, he gets out of the way. And so this guy keeps doing like this. I don't even know what he's doing anymore. And then he kind of stops. And he gets ready to make his own left-hand turn. I pull out my cell phone, take like three pictures, because I'm ready for justice. And I lay on the horn with my window down. And I think I said something like, I forget, something like learn to drive or one of those things. I don't know. And um, road rage has gotten me in trouble a few times, people. Uh, it's usually like I'm mad at bad drivers. And you don't use your blinker. There is prayer language happening in my car. It's usually not good. Um, it's usually a prayer of, oh, it's more like an Old Testament prayer than a New Testament prayer. Let's just say that. But like, it, it angers me. And like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm a chaplain for the police department. I'm calling up Lieutenant Nemeka and saying, look at this guy. Arrest him. Like, that's what I'm thinking, you know? Like, my mind is in that place. Because I want justice. And the funny thing is, I'm sitting here this morning thinking about this story and let me just be real, can I be real honest, and I, I hope you don't hold it against me in my life, um, show me some grace. When I was a teenager, I was not a good driver. And I don't mean like I wasn't good at like, like a safe driver. I did stupid things. Like there was a time where somebody would be, you know, up against my bumper and I'm doing the speed limit. And all of a sudden, I put it, I go, I go like 10, 15 under the speed limit. And I'm on that double line, right? So he can't pass me. And I get to the, the dotted line where he can't pass me, I floor it. I'm like, you're not passing me. Like, that's a horrible driver, right? I've done dumb things. I remember one time when I got my one car that had a sunroof. I'm driving and there's this field with like all these hairy ox or cattle. I don't know what they are. They're like big hairy cows, basically, with horns. I don't know what they are. There's, I'm sure there's a real name for them. And we're driving by them. My friend is in the back seat. He stands up through the sunroof and starts throwing a crate full of oranges at these cows. Why we had a crate full of oranges, I don't know. But like, this is bad driving. And here I am now yelling at every person who doesn't use their blinker and some guy who's angry at the car in front of him. Like, why do I feel like I have the, the right to have wrath? But yet we do this all the time, don't we? We feel like we have the right for wrath against somebody who's hurt us, offended us, and we are the ultimate offenders. We are the ultimate persecutors of Christ, and yet he has absorbed his own wrath in himself for us. His bow is not pointed at humanity, so why is ours? Why do we wake up every morning angry at the world and ready to see people pay? 
Let me ask you this. I'm wrapping up here. So we have the story of Noah, and, and out of it we, we can realize that we, it's possible. It's, it's, it's not just possible. It's, it's the Holy Spirit-given life that we can walk in a world surrounded by spiritual, real darkness and, and sin and still walk with the presence of God blameless before him. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can do the right things and be obedient in the midst of persecution, right? That's point number one. Point number two is God absorbed his own wrath. The funny thing is the story doesn't just end at, at them coming out of the ark and a nice covenant from God. It gives us just a little bit more of Noah's life. And this is the part that kind of throws me off. And I have to ask before we get into this, what, when God gives you a promise that he's not angry at you ever again, he's not angry and he's absorbed the wrath and you are in grace, you are in Christ, what do we do with that new life? What do we do when we're dead to our sins and we're resurrected in the goodness of Christ? And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Spread the good thing that I've done. When he says that to us, and we're walking in that promise, well, how do we respond when he does that? Let me, let me show you, and this is the part that throws me off because I don't really, I, I don't know how to handle it completely. Let me show you how Noah responds. So Noah gets off the boat and the next thing we see is he plants starts it says that he works in the ground and he plants a vineyard and then he takes his own wine and he gets drunk and then he gets naked and he's drunk and naked in his tent when his son comes in and sees him there and there's a whole lot more i could talk about with his sons and like how they responded and the brokenness there and all that how do we respond when god gives you a new life noah and let me say this. Go ahead. Look, look with Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. This is where we first see Noah. First time we hear about Noah. And I want, you got to, this just clicked it with me this week. And I want you to see this revelation that, that happened in my heart. Verse 28 in chapter 5. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived and he fathered, fathered Noah. Lamech, so God cursed the ground, right? When Adam and, and Eve sinned, he said, you're going to work hard in the ground. Lamech prophesies over his son, you're not going to work the ground like I work the ground. You're not going to struggle the way I struggled. You will have relief and rest. So God gives Noah this relief, this rest, this new life. The first thing he does after worship, God gives him a promise, and then he goes back to toiling in the ground the way his father toiled in the ground. And then he gets drunk off of it. So often in our life, God gives us this moment of redemption where we recognize the promises of God. They become real for us. We worship, and then life starts to happen, and we go back to the sins and the work and the labor of our fathers, and we live a life full of brokenness because we're stuck in what the fathers, our fathers did. And our old man, the way before the ark, before the rescue, he's working the ground again. Why? This morning, what I'm saying to us is our father declares and promises us that you have new life you don't have to do the things of the broken self you don't have to toil in the ground you don't have to live in the ground but now you can have new life and so often we go back to something that's not his promise you and i 
God has given, he's spoken a word over you that you have rest, you have joy, you have peace, and you don't have my wrath. So why do we keep going back to the things that produced wrath? Are you guys tracking with me this morning? I see some blank stares. And I, why? God's made a promise with you that you don't have to have worry, that you don't have to have anxiety, that you don't have to have depression, but yet you can, you can live in the promise of him. You can rest in the new covenant. You can see the rainbow and remember what it made or what, what he meant, what he said. That's, that's the, the word spoken over you. That's the word spoken over us. This morning, if our worship team can come forward. There's a few things that I, I want to say this morning. If you have never felt this promise, you've never felt God's rest in your life, if you've never felt his rescue... Let me, let me encourage you to come and rest in the grace of the cross. To come and receive Christ as your rescue. As the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, this covenant with us. So often I feel like the world wakes up thinking God is angry at them. And you never, ever have to feel that way again if you're in Christ. And so this morning I want to encourage you, if that's, if that's you, please... Please make that commitment to, to follow Christ, to confess him, to, to say, I need him. It's like the last song that we sang, Lord, I need you. It's, it's just simply saying that. Jesus, be my savior, be my rescue. And then you can rest in him. You can have the, the promises that he has. You can have the covenant of life. Others, for, for some of us, we just need to learn how to walk in intimacy when the world around us is is chaos. When, when work is lies, gossip, sin, brokenness, when home is sin, brokenness, when school is sin, brokenness, we need to learn how to walk where nobody, nobody else walks with God, we walk with God. We need to let the Holy Spirit fill us. We need to wake up in the morning saying, God, I'm obedient. I want intimacy with you. We need to go to bed at night saying, God, I worship you. I declare you. That that needs to be a new thing in some of our hearts today. And some some of us, we just need to stop seeking wrath. (laughs) We just need to stop being people of wrath. Like, we are Christians. We should be the happiest, most grace-given people on the face of the earth. We should be so quick to forgive. Right? Why are we people arrested? Man, I can remember a lot of Christian old people, right, who were angry. Like, they're good at going to the church, but they are bad at love. <laughs> like, like, that should not be us. God's wrath is absorbed. Ours should be too. It should be. And the last thing, before we start singing, before we spend time in prayer and worship, I want to encourage you. Become people that remember the promises. Become a, become a person that, when there are things in our lives that should always remind us of the promise of God. It could be, um, I was just talking to somebody in a home group last week, they, they see an eagle. And they, every time they see that eagle, 
It's a remembrance. They remember what God's doing in, the, in their life. They remember what God's spoken to them. I don't know what it is. It could be the rainbow. It could be a person. It could be a verse. It could be a thought, whatever it is. We need to become people that see that God does something in our lives, supernatural, and he gives us promises, and he rescues us from something. And we should continue to remember the rescue that he gave us. Remember, like, if, you don't, if you leave here with nothing else this morning, I am praying that you leave remembering the rescue, remembering the promise, remembering the covenant of Christ, remembering that his wrath is, is absorbed. That's good news. So become people that remember the promises and the fulfill, fulfillment of promises. You, I feel like some of us are in what we feel like is we're building that boat. We're like trying to build the ark that God's given us. He's given us some blueprints and we're working hard and it's been decades. Maybe not literal decades, but it feels like decades since we've heard from God again and we've even seen him do anything. Or it seems like he hasn't even done what he said. I want to encourage you this morning. God is a God of promise. If he says it, he'll do it. He's a God of promise. If it's provision, if it's a new job, if it's a, a relationship with family, whatever he says he'll, he'll do, he'll do. So remember the promise this morning.